97. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the heavens proclaim his right of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. The daughters of Zion of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. This is God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are our king. Thank you that you proved your kingship by coming down to the earth in every way, conquering every foe. Jesus, thank you that you are our king and you are now ruling and reigning. Jesus, may we look to you. May, may all who look to other false gods turn to you today, Lord. May all of us who trust in you turn to you again. Lord, you are our king. Would you reign? Would you rule? Lord, would you give us true comfort, peace, and joy in this season knowing that you are the God who reigns? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we don't know exactly when the psalm is written. Some of the psalms have little uh, beginning, little headers before the psalms to indicate when the psalm was written, what it was written for. This psalm doesn't have that. We don't know exactly when the psalm was written, but we know that it was written during Israel's history and during Israel's kingships. And what we know about Israel and their leadership and the kingships of Israel is that, by and large, they were pretty awful. If you think about it from the very beginning, as soon as Israel went into the land, Joshua led the people into the promised land. And right after he led the people in the promised land, one generation later, if, we, if you remember the book of Judges, things were pretty bad. Almost, almost none of the judges were good. Almost all of the judges failed in some way. It was hit or miss. The, the first king that was raised up, Saul, he was not a godly king. And, and he did what he wanted and did what was right in his own eyes. God removed him, put in David, the king after his own heart. And yet David, he wasn't perfect either. He killed the husband of a woman he lusted after. He was flawed in many ways. His son Solomon, the wisest man in the entire planet. And yet Solomon's downfall was lust and power and idolatry. And after him, for most of Israel's history, almost every one of the kings of Israel was corrupt. By and large, there was a few, a few bright lights. But for most of Israel, most of their history, their leaders, 
and this is God's people, their leaders were not godly. And yet all the nations around them had the worst kinds of leaders. For many years, if you think about it, Israel was ruled by other empires. They were ruled by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, and then even in Jesus' time, they were ruled by the Romans. They were a vassal state. God's chosen people, they didn't have a record of very good leaders. And the world around them was full of bad leaders. So if, if there's any hope in leadership, then, then where would it come from? In this psalm, it's directing the people's minds, their hearts, to something they really needed to know. In the face of, of, of bad leadership and the need for a good king, what they needed to see was that they already had one. They had the best king. They had God ruling and reigning over all. Today, if you look around, I don't know how much things have changed. There's not the greatest leaders. Those who are in power at times seem like they really should not be the ones in power. If you look around the world, there's corruption, different forms of government. Other countries have rejected the God of the Bible completely, and if they've done so, freedoms have been limited in the name of tolerance. In the Muslim world, governments rule by oppression. They oppose human rights and dignity of people from different backgrounds and ethnicities, and they oppress women. And it's rampant in many nations. Around the, around the world, children are neglected, people are mistreated, leadership is awful. This country, I, I think, is probably the freest and the safest country in the world. I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, having lived in, even in Canada, which is probably, you know, like the 51st state. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great place to live. I, I'd still rather live here. But at times, it can seem like godlessness is growing in this country. And it's easy for fear to creep in, isn't it? It's easy for you to think, oh no, who will the next leader of our nation be? Who will our governor be? Who will our president be? Who, who will the people in power be? And it's easy to be fearful and let that fear creep into how we live and affect us. You know, bad leadership, selfish leadership, ungodly leadership, it's, it's damaging, it causes harm and stifles joy. And at times, it can seem like the lords, those who are in power in the earth, it can seem like they're in control. And if you believe that, it's going to affect you. It's going to rob your joy. It's going to make you fearful. It's going to rob your peace. It's going to make you anxious. And so into not only the world of the day where the psalm was written, but into our world, God wants to speak a word that he wants us to know that he is reigning. No matter what earthly kings, no matter what earthly lords are in power, the Lord over all creation is reigning. That's, that's the source of our hope. That's the source of our joy and light. And in fact, I think that's the, the main idea that the author wants us to see. You can see there's six times he talks about rejoicing, and it's rejoicing in one thing. It's rejoicing in the fact that the Lord is reigning, and that results in something. And you can see that in the, the psalm. It results, the Lord reigning, the Lord reigns. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. What's he trying to get across? The Lord reigning is our source of light and joy. The Lord reigning is our source of light and joy. And, and this, this truth of the Lord reigning, it needs to permeate our thinking. But the question I have for you is, is the Lord's reign real to you? Do you believe that the Lord is reigning over all? 
Do you actively live that out? Do you, do you live in response to that? Are you, are you trusting in the Lord's reign? Are you looking for the Lord to reign? Now when it says the Lord's reign, it's, it's this ongoing tense of the verb. And it says the Lord's reigning. He's currently reigning. He, he has reigned. He's currently reigning. He's continuing to reign. This is not just a past tense. This is present and future. God the Holy One, the the covenant-keeping God, the, the Lord, whenever you see that Lord all in capitals, it's, it's the covenant name, Yahweh of God. The Lord, the covenant-keeping, faithful, steadfast God. He is the one who is reigning on behalf of his people. The God who loves his people and has chosen his people. Just what we, we heard about in the New City Catechism, he's elected his people, not reigning partially, but reigning fully in every way. And the first reality that we see really, it's broken up into three different sections, verses 1 through 5, verses 6 through 9, and verses 10 to 11. Verses 1 through 5, it's how the Lord is reigning over all the earth. In, in verses 6 through 9, we see how the, the Lord reigns over every other false god, over all idols. And then in, in 10 to 12, what we'll see is that the results of the Lord's reign, the implications of the Lord's reign in our life. But, but first, we're going to see in verses 1 through 5 that the Lord reigning over the, all the earth, it's cause for the earth to rejoice. The Lord reigning over all the earth is cause for the earth to rejoice. You know, fallen, sinful man will not ultimately reign. That's good news because the Lord reigns. Evil powers, principalities, wickedness, the devil, um, they, they will not reign. They do not have the final word. The Lord has the final word. And the author writes, the very earth rejoices at this fact. And you think about that, that's kind of funny wording, that the earth rejoices. How does the earth rejoice? Well, see, Romans 8 tells us in verse 21 that, that the earth, the whole world was subjected to futility. And we can feel that at times. Subjected to decay, to futility, to corruption. The corruption that came from sinful man corrupting the earth. But our hope is not in us uncorrupting the earth. Our hope is in the fact that God reigns and that God is over all the earth. And, and the earth's very hope, the very hope of the earth that we live on, the planet that we live on, it's not some system that we put in place. It's the fact that the Lord reigns, that one day he'll make all things new. One day he'll make all things right. And it's such good news that the author writes, he says, the earth, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the coastlands, let the far off lands be glad. What he means is that as far as every distant shore, let every distant shore rejoice in this one simple yet profound fact. The Lord reigns. Wherever, wherever the dark touches the land, wherever the sea, which was symbolic of darkness, wherever the darkness touches any coastland, no matter how far, no matter where that is, wherever dark touches land, God is God. He's reigning. And we need to know this if we're to have peace, if we're to have comfort, if we're to have true joy. And he says clouds and darkness are all around them. And that speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to both God's holiness and it also speaks to mystery. In Exodus 19, we see that when God gathered the people and he called Moses, he says, um, all the people answered him in, in Exodus 19.8. He says, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And, and Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you 
and may also believe you forever. He came in a thick cloud. You're like, why do you come in a thick cloud? Well, well, first of all, because they could not bear his presence. So he had to shield and mask his presence, but also because it represented the fact that there is mystery in God's reigning. There is mystery in his rulership. We will not fully understand God this side of eternity. We will not fully comprehend all of his ways, but we can trust that he comes to us, that he makes his word known to us. Deuteronomy 4.11, Moses wrote, he said that the, the voice of the Lord came out of the dark clouds in the fire. His, his words came with power, with complete sovereign authority and holiness to, to lead and to guide his people. And God's the same today. And, and God, who powerfully leads and guides, he's the same guy who, guy, God who's leading us and guiding us today. But God's ways are not always clear to us. We have to acknowledge that. Because the Lord is reigning does not mean we understand every bit of his reign. We don't doesn't mean we understand why he does what he does. In fact, the whole book of Job is written for that purpose to say we can trust that God is reigning even though we do not understand. We can trust in him. And then it the author tells us even more reasons why we can trust him. He says, the very foundation of his throne, the, the foundation from which God rules is righteousness and justice. We can trust in God's reigning over all the earth. The earth can rejoice. We can rejoice in the earth. All the people of the earth can rejoice because God is reigning in righteousness and justice. Even though people are not, God will reign in, rust, in righteousness and justice. And one day, he'll fully reign in righteousness and justice. People here on earth might not experience the righteousness and justice of their leadership, but we can trust that the Lord is righteous and just. All his ways are righteous and just. We can trust in that. That's cause for our rejoicing is the fact that, that although the systems of this world are unrighteous and unjust, God, he is over all He's righteous. He's just. And then it says something else. It says, fire goes out from before him and burns up his adversaries all around. Maybe, maybe you've not been around a really intense hot fire. When I was very young, I was around a very intense hot fire. My, my dad accidentally started a forest fire when I was five years old. It was pretty scary. I was terrified. They were fighting the fire and they would have coolers full of water down from the pond and they would try to fight the fire before it got to the trees. But when it hit the trees, it was too much. In fact, the trees, the, the flames were going like 100 feet high and you couldn't get within 300 feet before it started to burn you. The fire was intense. And that's this, this imagery that the author is trying to give to us of the fire of God, the holiness of God will burn out all of his adversaries with an intense, purifying, holy heat he's conveying that that no power no one can stand no adversary will be able to stand before the lord on that final awesome day that, that was the hope of the israelites back in their day and in isaiah he was actually giving them hope about god's holiness god's righteousness god's justice god's purifying fire and so in isaiah 33 13 he was writing to him he says hear you who are far off what I've done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid, trembling as sees the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? 
He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they behold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil, he will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortresses of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will behold the king and his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. Your heart will muse in the terror. Where is he who counted? Where is he who weighted the tribute? Where is he who counted the towers? You will see no more the insolent people, the people of an obscure speech that you can't comprehend, stammering in a tongue that you can't understand. Behold, Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an unmovable tent, whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any cords be broken, but there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with the words can go, no majestic ship can pass, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Israel's hope and our hope is in the fact that, that God is a purifying fire against all of his enemies, and yet his reign is a consolation for all of his people. No adversary will prevail against him. Numbers 11, when people complained to God about what they were receiving from him. It says fire went out from him. He purified all, even of those within his people who opposed him. And so the psalmist is giving this vivid imagery of this, this purifying fire of God that one day will rid all the earth of all evil. One, one day will rid the earth of all opposition to God. And that really is our hope. That's our longing. I think it's in the heart of every human being to want justice, true justice, perfect justice, to want true righteousness to reign. And we have this hope that, that God is the one who's, whose fire goes out and he's the one who is lightnings. This says, light up the world. What is, it, what is that showing to us? It's not just the power and the majesty of God, but if you've ever been outside when there's a thunderstorm, I like to, to watch thunderstorms from the, my covered porch, and, and when, when lightning happens, it kind of lights up everything that's dark all around it. The whole land instantly becomes bright, and it's majestic, and it's shocking, but it's exposing. And what was dark, a second later, becomes light. And that's the imagery here. There's nothing hidden from God that, that he's not able to expose powerfully. No darkness is hidden from God. It's, it's meant to be awe-inspiring. The imagery for us to see is that, that God is, is light. He lights up the world however he pleases. He's able to expose the darkness. No darkness can hide from his presence. Not only that, we see that the Lord is powerful in every way. Even the places of strongholds, even the places where people go for refuge, the mountains, it says, they melt like wax. Mountains are, are places of power. They're places of majesty. If you've ever climbed a high mountain, you feel powerful. You see over all things and you think, whoa, this is amazing. And he says, no, that's nothing to God. You know, People would take refuge on a mountaintop. They would, opposing armies, armies would, would gain the high ground to get advantage. Other armies would, would build fortresses and mountains. We still do this today. Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado it's, it's where NORAD, the North American, I can't remember what it stands for, but the North American, I think, was a aerospace defense command. It's, it's where they built this huge bunker system underneath this massive mountain, Cheyenne Mountain, to withstand nuclear impacts. And so you think mountains are strong. This is place of refuge. And God says, no, 
Evil has no place of refuge. The mountains just melt like wax before me. Because the Lord is Lord over all the earth. Do you believe that? Do you rest in that? Do you trust in that? Do you acknowledge that? Do you submit to his reign? The good news of the Lord's reign that we need to know and hear if we're to have peace and comfort is that the Lord is reigning. Sin won't reign. Wicked people won't reign. Evil powers won't reign. And, and, and even this all of creation that it talks about in Romans 8, 21, all of creation groaning, one day there'll be a revelation of the glory of the sons of God and all of creation will be set free from bondage. Set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the children of the glory of God. The, the Lord reigning over the, all the earth is good news for us. And the Lord reigning over all gods is cause for people to rejoice. That's what we see in verses 6 through 9. The Lord reigning over every other god is cause for people to rejoice. It says the heavens proclaim his righteousness. What does that mean? It, it, it's in Romans where it talks about how God in his very creation reveals who he is. There's no excuse that all of creation reveals the glory, the wonder of God. When you look up and you see a beautiful sunrise, you see there is a God who painted that, who made that. There's, when you see a beautiful sunset, God put that there for us. When you see the order in all of creation, how everything is perfectly ordered, that, that one mile one way or the other and the whole planet burns up. When you look at just how perfectly every system, every cell in our bodies works together and how they all had to be formed instantly, they could not have evolved, they all formed instantly so that they all work together perfectly, you think, oh, God is, he is glorious. You can see his righteousness, see his glory. The very heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord. They declare God's righteousness. And so it's disgraceful to worship other gods. That's what it means when it says all worshipers of images are put to shame. It, how feeble is it when the Lord of all creation has revealed himself, made himself known to us as humanity, and he invites us to come to him, to receive from him all of his abilities, all of his power on our behalf. And we say, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to go trust in this, in this little wooden stand here. That wooden stand is going to give me everything I need. It's as silly as it is for us to look to idolatry. And that's what it's saying. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. But if you don't know that God is reigning, you're going to start to look to other places, other people, other things. And you think about how ridiculous it is to look to idolatry and you think, well, I would never set up a statue I would never put something in my house and worship this little piece of concrete. You know, we moved into our first house here and um, the people claimed to be believers, but they came from a more Catholic background and they had these little angels and things buried all over the property and all these things. And I, like, there was just idols. They were looking in those things to, to get them something. And we were like, how silly is that? And then I thought, well, I have my own idols. I have my idol of wanting acceptance from people to get worth and value. I have my, my own idol of wanting to control, the, the idol of boy, wanting safety and security, wanting peace, wanting comfort. What are, what are some of those silly things that you look to to replace God with? 
Maybe you're here today and you're looking to some other God. Maybe you're looking to another idol, something to bring you ultimate happiness and joy and peace and control. Anything we look to other than God to bring us happiness, joy, peace, control, any of those things are really worthless idols. And it says all who trust in idols will be put to shame. Put to shame because you realize in the end that those idols are really worthless. Our hope is that the judgments of God are right and true. It says Zion hears and is glad. Zion hears that, hey, all these idols are false. You know why that was good news for Zion? Because they were surrounded by nations who trusted in false gods. They needed to know that those idols, those idol worshippers would be put to shame. And that ultimately they'd be vindicated because God's judgments will be carried out. Like how Michael Wilcox put it, he says, when the awesome God of righteousness and justice makes himself known, the earth trembles and yet is glad. Rejoicing fills this psalm, beginning, middle, and end. Our own breaking of the law is a separate issue while confessing that we're sinners, yet we long for a world under the rule of law. Isn't that true? Provided it's a law made and administered by God. You know, deep, deep down in, in every one of our hearts is the desire for perfect justice to be done. We just don't want it for ourselves, but we want perfect justice. We want wrongs to be punished. We want wrongs to be corrected. We want what's right to be upheld and enforced. We need the Lord to reign over all justice. And the good news is not only that he is and he's able to judge righteously, but he will judge righteously. He will. This psalm is not just what has happened, what's currently happening in Israel, because it never was really fulfilled. This psalm is a prophetic, a prophetic psalm of what will finally occur when the Lord is revealed to his people. No evildoer will be unpunished. No one who belongs to him will fail to be rewarded either. And it tells us why in verse 9. It says, For you, O Lord, are high above all the earth. You are exalted far above other gods. But here's the thing. If you don't know that, and then if it doesn't go from here in your head, knowing it, to actually believing it, and then trusting in the fact that the Lord reigns, you're going to look to other things to get you what you think you need and what only the Lord can provide. You're going to start to look for control if you're looking for peace and comfort you're not looking to God for peace and comfort you're going to try to control and, and, and you're going to find out that you really aren't in control because you are finite and you can't control and you're going to get frustrated and then you're going to lack peace and comfort if you're not looking at God to reign you're going to look for power to get you what you want you're going to power for protection and deliverance and then you realize that your power has limits and everyone's power has limits and protection and deliverance do not come at the hands of our own power. If, if you're not looking to God to reign, you're going to look to prestige to get you identity. Prestige and praise. You're going to look to that idol. You're going to look to, to money for safety and provision. But here's the thing. Idols don't satisfy. And when you find out that you lack control, anxiety and anger will result. Anybody here with struggle? You don't have to raise your hand. But anybody here struggle with control? Wanting to control? You have anxiety and anger. Often those are fruits of idolatry of control. You don't get what you want, and so you experience anger and anxiety. 
When you lack power and you don't get it, you can experience fear and worry. When you lack prestige and praise, then what's going to happen is you're going to experience insecurity in your identity and timidity. When you lack money, you're going to be tempted to, to become desperate and turn to deceit and gimmicks. And we need to hear this good news. The Lord reigning is our hope for provision, our hope for safety, our hope for peace, for comfort, for protection, for deliverance, for identity. That's our hope. Because if the Lord is reigning, then what he says about us matters most. If the Lord is reigning, then he's all-powerful and he's able to keep us. If the Lord is reigning, he is the one who's able to provide for us. If the Lord is reigning, he is our safety. If we know and believe those things, we'll live in the good of it. And the third reality we see in verses 10 to 12 really is that the Lord reigning is our motivation for our very joy in life. It's our motivation for joy in life. It says, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. If you love the Lord reigning, you're going to hate anything that opposes him. It says, If you love the Lord, hate evil. The question is, do you? Do you hate evil? Do you hate the evil that's within your remaining sin that remains? Do you, do you hate the evil in the world around you? If so, it says, love the Lord, hate evil. And here's how you can do that. The motivation for doing that is right after that. It says, he preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. And how can he do that? Because he's reigning. His reign means that he preserves the lives of his saints. Now, who are his saints? His saints are those who've been made holy in him. His saints are those who are secure in him. He says he delivers them, his saints, those who trusted in him from the hand of the wicked. Knowing the Lord is over all, that he reigns with righteousness and justice, that's good news for us. Knowing that he's going to burn up all of his adversaries, knowing that, that, that darkness cannot hide from him is good news. Knowing and seeing that his glory will be displayed in all the earth. That's good news. That knowing that he preserves, that he guards, he protects his saints, his holy ones. That's news that we need to hear. And that's our motivation to love the Lord and to hate evil. Knowing the Lord reigns. And, and actually, I would, I would posit that, that any area where we are struggling with loving the Lord, it, it's because we don't fully understand the fact that he is reigning. For our good as a covenant-keeping, faithful God on our behalf. That he's reigning and he's ruling and he's able to sustain and keep us and he calls us and draws us to himself. If you're fearful, it's because you don't understand the Lord is reigning. And living like this, living loving God and, and hating evil, it's not some recipe for weird doom and gloom where it's not boring, it's not dull. In, in fact, it's, it's enlightening and it's joyful. And that's what verse 11 says. It says, light is sown for the righteous. Light is sown. Living like this. Light is sown for the righteous. Loving the Lord, hating evil. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. You can that. Light is what we need to see our way. Light dispels darkness. Light makes things clear. So I think the author is saying that the righteous will see the, the right way to go as they live under the, the reign of the Lord in every area of their life. As God is ruling, as he's reigning, as we receive him as our Lord, as he's ruling and reigning, we're living for him, loving him, hating evil. We'll see the right way to go. 
he'll, he'll reveal to us what we need to do in life, what he'll make clear. And it's not fully, he says it's a seed sown. So light is seen, we'll have clarity, and, and it's going to grow and grow and grow and increase. We'll have more and more light in our lives as we submit to the reign of the Lord. The more we love the Lord, the more we're wanting to love the Lord, the more we'll see clearly our path and understand and know the truth. And he doesn't just say that. He says not just light is sown. He says for enjoy for the upright in heart. Did you know that our lack of joy is directly tied to our not understanding the Lord reigning for us or not submitting to his reign? But as we submit to his reign, as we submit to even a God who's, who's clouded to us, who's mysterious to us, we submit to the Lord's reign, it, it's joy. It's joy for us. The result of living in the light of the Lord reigning all results in, in the seeds of joy being planted that continue to grow and produce even more joy. Recognizing, accepting, trusting that the Lord reigning in our lives is how we experience life and light and joy. That means not just passively saying, I know the Lord reigns, but it says, I, I, I want to actively trust, I want to recognize, I want to accept, I'm going to trust in the fact that, that he's good and sovereign, that he loves and he protects and he's able to deliver even when I don't see, even when I don't understand, even when I can't figure things out. I know that he's reigning in righteousness and justice. And when we do that, when we live in a way that's living, trusting in him reigning, it, it's joy and light to us. And then we'll understand that his, his reign is actually calls for our rejoicing. It says, rejoice in the Lord over you righteous. Give thanks to him in his name. Why? Because it is good cause for us to rejoice. I love the way Derek Kidner puts it. He says that encouragement to hold on till daylight and victory come is the note on which the psalm ends. So let's give thanks to the Lord. Rejoice in him. And we can do that knowing that, that daylight has already come. A sun of glory has come. A new day has dawned in Christ Jesus. He is the bright morning star. And in his life, he demonstrated that he actually is sovereign over every area of life. He came to demonstrate that he's sovereign over every temptation. He's reigning over every temptation. He's able to reign over every sin. So that means he's able to help you reign over every temptation and sin. He, not only that, he demonstrated that he reigns over every molecule. He created bread from nothing. He turns water into wine. He demonstrated he's Lord over creation. He, he walked on water. He calmed the storms with just a word. He demonstrated he has power over every sickness. He demonstrated he has power over evil. He cast out demons. He put down the temptations of Satan. He demonstrated he had power over even death by commanding Lazarus to raise new life. And he demonstrated that death had no power over him by raising his own life. He conquered all. He reigns over evil and death and creation. But not only that, you know his resurrection tells us that he reigns over life. 
that he is the Lord of life. He is the one who is currently reigning. And I love a few years back, about four years ago, we got to go through the book of Revelation and what a wonderful picture that was of one day. Not only has the Lord conquered and he has conquered every evil power, he is currently reigning and one day he'll come back and fully establish his reign. You know how Revelation speaks of what he's gonna do? He's gonna come with fire and burn up every adversary. And then he's gonna make all things new because he's the Lord over all creation. And he's able to protect and deliver and preserve his saints fully to the end. He's going to return with power. He's going to burn up all of his adversaries. He's going to put down all false gods. He's going to make all things right because he's the one who reigns. And he's able to preserve and protect his saints and keep us faithful in him to the end. And he has delivered his saints and he will deliver his saints. The question is, are you his saints? Have you put your trust in him? Are you looking to submit your life to the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord of creation? Are you saying, Jesus, I I trust that I'm not able to to do good enough on my own, that there's no way I can be free from sin, no way I can have peace with God, but I need you to give me forgiveness the forgiveness that you earned. I need you to give me new life. I need you to give me comfort and peace and hope and joy and I'm gonna submit to your lordship, your rule, your reign, no matter what it looks like here. And when we do that, we experience joy and peace and trust and his reign becomes our light and joy. Let's pray and we'll have the band come up. God, I pray that